Welcome to Welcome Heart, Living a Legacy Life podcast. My name is Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com. What better legacy than to open our hearts to God and open our lives and homes to others? Jesus said, love me, love your neighbor. Sounds like a legacy life to me. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm so excited today to uh, share a beautiful new friend and author and uh, a great book as well. Her name is Jen Pollock Michelle, and she currently lives in Cincinnati, I believe. And she is the mother of five, which I think gives her all sorts of credibility. Uh, I remember when I had my first child, my sister said, well, Sue, finally someone will listen to you because you're a mother. <laughs> so Jen, welcome today. Uh, tell us the names of the books that you have published and what else you do, a little bit about your family, and then we'll talk about legacy. Yeah. So my first book was Teach Us to Want, and that's a book about desire and the life of faith. Um, my second book was Keeping Place, a book about home, the search for home. And um, my third book was Surprised by Paradox. Um, so it's just about the tensions in the life of faith. My fourth book is A Habit Called Faith, 40 Days in the Bible to Find and Follow Jesus. And then my fifth book is actually coming out in December of this year. And it's called In good time. Yeah. Wow. So wow. Mm. Wow. Wow. Maybe we might have to do a second uh, podcast then. Um, yeah. Well, let's, that'd be uh, great. Yeah. I started, what was your third book on the one on surprised home? by paradox? Oh, okay. That reminds me of surprised by joy just yes. because of the title. And yeah. I I've written about surprised by doubt because I woke up oh. one day, one day in college, uh, it was an article. It was not a book. Um, well, one day at a Christian college and I woke up and I was surprised that I no longer believed that God existed. And, wow. and uh, that was about mm, almost a year long journey. And I was mm. shocked, shocked by it because there was no reason, rhyme or reason for that to happen. Is that so interesting? Yeah, it is. But I want to talk about you and your latest book, a habit of the latest book for me that I've read is a habit called faith. Um, and, I want to welcome you here because we're talking about a legacy. And I think our greatest legacy, of course, is to share Jesus in some way, mm. shape or form. And it sounds like your books are all having to do with people knowing God better and deeper. And interestingly enough, the tagline for your the book, A Habit Called Faith, is 40 days in the Bible to find and follow Jesus. And you know how churches now have taglines? Well, our church, my church, home church, Grace Church is to find and follow Jesus. So everything oh, really? on, on everything is, and this is why we're here to find and follow Jesus. And I thought, wow, oh, she, I had, to <laughs> I'm going to send that, send this to my pastor. He does a men's group at 6am, which I've been to only once because I got to speak on hospitality to all these males. And it was, I brought the muffins because, you know, it was 6am, but um, I'm going to suggest that they do this book because it is Fabulous. Um, you say it's a Bible reading experience for the convinced and the curious. So you would you mm -hmm. say this is for the non-believer or for the believer, your book? I would say really both, you know, which sounds a little bit strange. You know, I think a lot of times people, well, first of all, it, it is a devotional kind of format. It's a 40 day mm -hmm. reading. So a lot of people are like, oh, devotional, you know, mm -hmm. believer, we're talking to the convinced, but I wanted to grab hold of that idea of faith um, as a habit and just to get people reading the Bible regularly. And I actually think that that's an incredible habit for people who are um, looking, who are 
investigating faith, you know, who are curious about Jesus. I mean, this isn't the kind of book that you would just put into somebody's lap who hasn't even started asking spiritual questions, but maybe if it's a friend who says, you know, I'd really like to know more. I want to understand what you believe, or I don't even know what the Bible's about, mm. you know, or what, what is the whole, you know, story of Jesus? What does it even mean? The cross? I mean, I hear some of these things. I'm trying to make sense of it. If you have a friend like that, that's the kind of person that I was thinking of. Okay. That is so great. Um, you say in the book, there's a persistent idea today that we've grown out of religion like a child grows out of socks or mm -hmm. t-shirts or bathing suits. <laughs> exactly. um, uh, tell me a little bit more about that idea. Yeah. I mean, so before we moved to Cincinnati this last summer, I lived 11 years in Toronto. So I would say that the majority of people that I was interacting with most days were people who were very spiritually skeptical, you know, and sometimes sort of politely hostile to the idea of faith. Yes. And I think it's that idea that, you know, faith, I mean, aren't we really talking about things people believed in the middle ages, you know, mm -hmm. when people used to believe in God, used to believe in angels and demons and heaven and hell, you know, aren't those ideas like from like 500 years ago. And now that we're in a scientific era, um, haven't we grown out of them? And so I, I love challenging people on the idea of what faith really is. Like, what are faith systems? You know, when I think about faith, I'm actually thinking even more broadly than just belief in God. I'm thinking about the, the systems of ultimate commitments that everybody has. You know, mm. what are we ultimately committed to? How do we answer the question, what is the meaning of life? You know, how do I even just decide what I'm going to do tomorrow and what, what informs my goals and dreams for the next 10 years. Those are really faith commitments. And so I like to, I like to sort of like um, ask people to expand their ideas of what faith is. And of course, I mean, this book is about faith in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate commitment, you know, as the, as the one in whom we find life um, as the gospel writer of, um, of the gospel of John talks about. So what, when you say you like to challenge someone's idea of faith, what would be a typical way you would do that? A question, like say you're having coffee with an acquaintance or a neighbor or a group of um, work colleagues or people you know don't share faith in Christ. What would be a way to round about or even directly get the conversation talking about it? Mm -hmm. A lot of times, I mean, it's sort of just acknowledging that I understand maybe some of their hesitations about faith, mm -hmm. you know, so for people who feel that maybe religious faith is a dangerous idea, I would definitely say that that's a primary one. People who think mm -hmm. that religious people are, are hateful people, that they're not safe, that they are the kinds of people who are always against people who don't share their moral commitments. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe there would be a time and a conversation where I would, I would indicate that I'm a, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I would say, you know, I would might just kind of make a joke and say, you know, oh gosh, you know, I know that that probably puts a lot of like fear and trembling in you or something, but you know, here's what it really means to me is that, um, you know, I, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and, you know, and all, you know, maybe that, I don't know if that'd be the first thing I would say, but maybe as <laughs> yeah. the conversation 
got to that point, you know, then there would be another place to sort of push on their hesitations about faith. Oh boy. You know, she's talking about something that's just like, so fairy tale, you know, Jesus raised from the dead. You know, I might say something like, yeah, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but there's, there's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of historical evidence, you know, for the resurrection of Christ. So I'd, I'd say things like, I understand that you're nervous that religious people are hateful, Hmm. or I understand, like, you kind of feel that religious people are ignorant. Um, Or maybe, you know, it's, and that those would be, I don't want to assume that everybody's there. You know, sometimes people are just honestly, they're just disinterested. They're mm-hmm. sort of like, my life is working great. What mm-hmm. do I need faith in, in mm-hmm. Jesus for? Mm-hmm. And so if that, if the conversation turns in that direction, it might be something like, oh, I, I get that, you know? And um, I think my faith has meant the most to me in my times of grief, for sure. And I'd love to share that with you, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is just talking about me, my own faith, how it interacts with my everyday life, how I've come to share these commitments, these ultimate commitments to Jesus, why I believe the Bible is true. I mean, anytime people like give me a little bit of time, like I I try to stick my toe in the door, I guess. Good for you. And I bet it's been slammed on more than once. Yes, it has. Um, (laughs) I have found uh, just because of the ages of my daughters and their friends that people don't need God in Northern California, Mm -hmm. California, because they, you know, they work in the Silicon Valley and they make more money than I do. And um, until there's a grief, like what you just said, there is no need for God. So I, well, this has been going on for generations though, because my oldest brother was the black sheep of the family. And for years I thought he is never going to come around, but we loved his wife. And mm. as a child, I was nine years younger. And so I remember praying a very immature pray, prayer, Lord, even if it means that Anne would die. <laughs> oh, <said>. boy. <laughs> to bring Hyatt around. And um, of course, God in his great mercy brought them both around. And he mm. became director of Wycliffe Bible Translators. <laughs> but uh, the fact is, that was an immature prayer, but it's the grief it's the grief that gets people's attention. I was going to end with this, but it's kind of coming up right now. I praise God, not for the coronavirus, but for the way that it has brought people's minds back to eternity because they could die tomorrow. And people, we get so caught up because we don't have needs like hunger uh, and other things that the third world countries do so that we don't reach out to God. So that's kind of my soapbox a little bit. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about the pandemic too. I think it's just been interesting for people who have a very scientific mindset, you know, and they believe that science can sort of answer every question, you know, head off every contingency, like that it actually affords us a lot of control. And I think one of the things we saw in the pandemic is that we actually have a lot less control over our lives Mm -hmm. than we think we do. And that really was an interesting way to kind of talk about spiritual things with people. Right. Right. And also the fact that I think God wants us as believers to show him off or display our faith mm. or display him actually um, by being at peace, by, yeah. not, by not getting all worked up. I mean, the Christians who get worked up, I go, wait a minute, we're supposed to be different. Uh, we're supposed <laughs> to look a little different. Okay. Well, what you say, someone might argue with uh, even the title of your book Um but let me back up with this. Did you write this book, A Habit of Faith, from your own need for faith and habits or because of observing the current culture of deconstruction going on in the church? I would say both. You know, I would definitely say for me, the reason why habit is such a 
personally for me, why it is so, um, I guess, a comforting, I would call it a comforting category. And that probably strikes people as strange because, you know, as even as we talked about before we started recording, sometimes people think of habits as just like, oh, this like onerous to-do list. Like I got to exercise. I got to read my Bible. I got to like, you know, eat my carrots, whatever, you know, those things that we don't want to do, but that we know we should do. Those are the habits, right? But the interesting thing is that we actually all live our life very habitually, whether we intend to or not. We all have certain habits that we just practice over and over and over again. Um, and so in one sense, it means that, you know, our life, like we change our lives by changing our habits. Um, that's just a very simple principle. And a lot of people would agree with that, whether they're Christians or not. For me, I think a lot of times, like I want so much, I want spiritual change and I want spiritual transformation. I want to be formed into the image of Jesus, but that feels really, really big. And habit is kind of a, is a way to like downsize that a little bit, you know, like I don't have to change, like my whole life doesn't have to be transformed tomorrow, but what about like one small thing that I could, I could ask God to help me participate with him in by the power of the Holy spirit. You know, for me right now, it's compassion, you know, as I'm taking on some different caregiving responsibilities for an aging parent, you know, I feel that I don't, I lack the compassion that's required for Mm. much of what is happening right now in my life. And even just this week, I thought, you know what, like, I don't have to like tomorrow, (laughs) like feel this overwhelming compassion, Mm. but like, I, how can it become more and more of a practice and a habit in my life, you know, and, and doing that as a way to just, I think it's a cooperation with the grace of God. I also think that habit is very encouraging for people who are spiritually seeking too. Um, And, or let's just talk about the person who's deconstructing their faith, you know, everything's (laughs) just sort of imploding. Um, You know, where do you grab hold? And again, it, it, habit is just like this small little thing. It's almost like that one little lifeline. If you could just grab the end of it, what habit? And a lot of times people think, okay, it's automatically reading your Bible. It could be that, but it could also be just keep going to church every week. Keep yourself in the community of believers. Mm -hmm. Um, That habit could be a lifeline for all of us um, in seasons of doubt. And I have a feeling that whether or not, like like you said, doubt creeps up upon us, whether or not we think it ever will, right. whether it's a season of grief or sorrow or just hardship or just boredom, you know? Um, my, so. um, my brother-in-law is a Lutheran pastor outside Chicago, and my sister was telling me how he has to visit the sick and infirm quite a bit in rest homes mm. and that they all know the liturgy from their child. You yeah. know, from, and I, as a Baptist, growing a Baptist thinking, liturgy, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> what's that? That's the L word, um, which I love more as I grow older, but mm-hmm. she was commending it because she grew up in the same household as I did because these old, old people were so comforted. So when you said that word comfort, the comfort yeah. of habit versus the ritual that is deadening, there is a deadening, yes. deadening to habits, which I do want to talk about, but I like to say that habit, I don't worship the habit, meaning spending mm. time with God, but habits help me worship. And yeah. so if I'm not there in my, what I like to call my quiet time chair, even though I might get distracted by my phone or getting up and getting more coffee or my child calling with an emergency, 
the habit is that I'm still there in the chair. And before I leave, I hope I've given myself and my day to the Lord, you know, Mm. so that is a great comfort to me. So what would you say to the person who is saying, well, I don't want a dead faith, so I'm not going to meet on a regular basis with God. Mm -hmm. I do. I do hear this more often than not. not. It always, (laughs) you know, it always kind of surprises me because I think about, you know, I would probably ask that person, tell me about your most important relationship, whether it's your marriage or your friendship or maybe your relationship with your child or your parent. So do you just kind of wait till you feel like investing in that relationship? Wait until you feel a lot of really happy thoughts about them. Like what carries you through the times when you don't feel like that? And really, again, like habits are very sustaining for any relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, again, marriage, you know, having habits where you connect daily, um, you know, weekly, whatever the rhythms are that you have for these Mm -hmm. relationships, they sustain them. Mm -hmm. And they especially sustain them when, you know, the mood doesn't. And that's the biggest thing that I want to say to people is I think a lot of people think, you know, well, it's mood that will carry us through our lives of faith, you know, that, and really mood's what we should depend on. We should just wait till Mm -hmm. we really feel it, really feel sincerely as if we want to meet with Jesus. And I'm like, well, Gosh, if I had to wait on that, um, I might have like three good days a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, not only that, uh, we're we're different temperaments. Like um, I'm, right. a Myer- I'm a Myers-Briggs something or other, ENFP, and our core need is to be authentic. So if I lived off that core need and I didn't feel authentically connected to my Lord and Savior every minute or every day or every month, I would not learn from him. I wouldn't sit right. at his feet because mm-hmm. I don't feel like it, or I don't feel the need, or I'm feeling fake because yes. I'm sitting I'm sitting at his feet, but I'm not really sure he's there with me. Mm-hmm. And so if I would go into all that, especially with all the thing on the Enneagram and how God made us, but habits, I love what you said, habits sustain us when the mood doesn't, it seems to be particularly helpful to a woman, but maybe I'm politically incorrect saying that, but because men can be moody. But uh, <laughs> um, so why, why 40 days? Because I was intrigued by that. Of course, that's a biblical number. But for those who don't know that, why 40 days? Why Deuteronomy? And why the gospel of John? Now, those are three big questions, but could you say the answers succinctly? Sure. 40 days to me did feel like a very biblical number, you know, 40, Moses was 40 days on uh, Mount Sinai receiving the 10 commandments. Jesus was 40 days being tempted in the wilderness, Israel, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So, you know, 40 days felt like, you know, kind of a product, probably a pretty natural number. And also that felt like it was long enough to actually maybe establish mm. a habit. Um, Cause I think you don't establish a habit just because you've done something five days or 10 days, you really need just, you actually need a lot of repetition to, to form habit. And it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of interesting research about that. So that's not just how um, let's just say you have a really intensive three days of the week that you meet with Jesus. Like you're actually probably better off with like five days, five minutes every day, mm. um, because that's just more habit forming. It's the repetition. It's not just the length, the duration of the activity. Um, so 40 days felt like a good number biblically. And it felt like substantive in terms of habit formation, Deuteronomy and John, actually, that was kind of interesting. I think I, I always did thought, think that it would be interesting to have um, some sort of book that 
carried just the storyline of the Bible, that it really is all a story that anticipates and um, arrives at the climax of Jesus Christ. And that um, I think a lot of people don't see how the New Old Testament fits into that story. So I did so sort of, I thought, you know, maybe how did I end up with Deuteronomy? Well, I have to say that I was actually teaching out of the gospel of John. And as I was um, preparing from the farewell discourse in John, John chapters 13 through 17, um, I started to learn that there were a lot of echoes, a lot of resonance with the book of Deuteronomy. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, I wouldn't say that I had, you know, any sort of particular interest or, you know, love for Deuteronomy, but it was just in studying John and realizing that those things are, there are a lot of connections. I thought, well, that would be so interesting. The other thing too, that is particularly shared between the gospel of John and the book of Deuteronomy are these five words of faith. So it's live, love, know, see, obey. And I also thought that those five words had a lot of potential, like how we could just talk about faith, like the, like faith, the mechanics of faith, like just exploring the nature of faith through those five words. They were very active to me. Um, and so that's kind of how it came about. Um, I was a little nervous doing Deuteronomy because like I said, I don't know that I felt that I hadn't much expertise in Deuteronomy. I was actually just talking to a pastor from our church, Pastor Emeritus, like he's, you know, I think he's almost in his eighties and he was saying, gosh, you know, you really did a lot of your homework for that book. And he just <laughs> finished reading it. And I was like, I did. Yeah, I was nervous. Yeah, yeah, that's good for you. Um, most would argue, believe first and then develop habits to carry up mm. your belief, I think. And this book takes the opposite tack. Uh, mm -hmm. Explain Pascal's, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but his ideas, try practicing your way into faith. Explain mm -hmm. that. Explain that. Yeah. So for the skeptics listening today, go, uh, how, do you, how do you practice your way into faith? Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, they're going to get so nervous. And because I think we do want to say from the outset that really faith is a gift. I think it's a gift mm -hmm. of God's grace. The fact Amen. that any of us would ever like seek to know God, seek to entrust our lives to him, that is already evidence that he's at work in us. Um, so I don't want to say that practice your way into faith is a way that you kind of skip over grace. Like, oh, well, you can just, you know find salvation in Jesus Christ through your own efforts and energies. I will say though that, so Blaise Pascal, um, who was writing in the 1600s, um, wow. I just happened to run across this quote and I just thought it, it made a lot of sense to me. He was basically saying what he was talking about. He was addressing the person who doesn't have any, any more remaining intellectual questions about faith. So let's say that person who basically says, you know, I feel that, yes, you know, I can agree intellectually to the truths of Jesus risen from the dead. Um, God is creator, you know, the Bible is his word, but like, I don't feel any faith. Like I don't really feel it to be real or personal or relevant. He was talking really to that person. He said, that's when you need to just kind of take up the motions of faith. Like it's almost like stoking the fire of okay. faith. Yeah. You know, when you think about those embers of faith and you poke at them. Um, and again, I think it's, it's a great word for people who, 
never come to that place maybe where you did in college. Like they don't, they don't doubt intellectually, but they struggle with the realness of faith, the mm. real experience of faith. And that's also often true for me. I mean, how often, and probably for you too, Sue, how often do you go to church and you think, I, I just don't feel like coming this week. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. Or maybe it's reading your Bible or praying or, or serving, whatever spiritual practice we're talking about. At the outset, you don't want to do it. and mm. But on the other end, having done it is when you actually find your desire for it kindled or yeah. rekindled. Isn't that and the I, truth? Because people, people, people stop going to church during COVID for obvious reasons. Yeah. And it's hard to get them back up off the couch. It is. Uh, because they got very comfortable and they didn't have to. And I just felt like, and then our church went through a remodel. So we were still even longer when we were allowed to go back. We still couldn't. And, mm. um, and then when we got back, I just felt like, wow. We're in a crowd of witnesses right here. And, and that is so encouraging to my faith. For, mm-hmm. those, for those unused to the habit of meeting with God in the Bible, or maybe have tried and then failed. And as a woman, it seems like shame is just part of our uh, DNA mm-hmm. because we tried the, the um, New Year's resolutions or we tried this thing or uh, I have a list of what to do to get started too. They, oh, we tried Sue's thing. It doesn't work. So what kind of, uh, what, what is your best advice for someone who is not used to meeting with God, but is intrigued with the the idea, whether or not they are a strong believer or they've tried and failed? Mm -hmm. Well, two things I would say, I'd say, number one, you need to have a plan, Mm -hmm. you know, some sort of plan so that you, every day you're not just reinventing like, okay, so today, what do I do today? You know, maybe say to yourself, whether 40 days, you know, do this book, do some other book, do, do something where you just say, I'm not even going to rethink this for a particular period of time. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep at it, keep at it. Don't diagnose whether it's working or not, just keep at it. (laughs) And having, and, and, and that plan is just the thing that you just keep coming back to. And it's okay. If you fail at the plan, you know, just, just, well, I guess I should say, I probably have three things. So you need a plan, Okay. but you need a plan that you will enjoy. I'm going to say this. um, Is that the second one? Is that the second one? That's the second one. So if you've got a plan, um, choose a plan, base it on the things that are your real curiosities and desires and oh, faith. Good. Um, so maybe you're like, I really would like to learn how to pray better. Okay. Well, spend some time in the Psalms, you know, um, maybe you are really interested in a character in the Bible or something. So just say, well, I'm going to read about Elijah. Like, What I want to say is that sometimes I think we get hung up on there's one right way, one right plan. I don't think there's a right plan. I actually don't think you always have to sit in your chair and read the Bible. Maybe the Mm -hmm. plan for you is that you're going to listen to the Bible on audio as you run because you're a runner, because you're a walker. Maybe it's the first thing that you do is that you just start to listen to more um, worship music. You introduce that into your day. And so you just say, well, when I'm going to wash the dishes every night, I'm going to turn on worship music. And that is going to be it. But the point is have a plan but make it something that you actually enjoy Mm. this. For example, for me, like with exercise, um, I finally found a regimen that I really like. 
And so I don't really have to trust. I don't have to like talk myself into it. Like it's pretty much like, I like it. So I mm-hmm. kind of keep at it. We keep at the things that we like. So if yeah. you choose to do something because you just think, well, that's the best way to do it, but you're not necessarily feeling that it's really interesting to you, then you're probably less likely to keep at it. I think the third thing is get somebody to help you stay accountable to Mm -hmm. these things. We don't do spiritual life alone. Life with Jesus is a life um, that's meant to be lived in community. Mm. And so you need that other person who's just going to say, you can do it, you can do it, or I'm praying for you, or um, it's okay. You know, you, you missed two days, but you know, mm-hmm. let's get back up together. Have, I mean, it'd be great if it's somebody who also has their plan that they're trying to do and you're holding each other accountable. Um, I just have found that I can't do things alone. I need other people to encourage me. I need other people mm-hmm. to just challenge me. Um, so I guess those are my three things. They, uh, it reminds me of, I've, I've mentioned this before on my podcast that my little sister, when I came home from college and I saw her sitting on the bed and I said, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm having my quiet time. I'm doing it for five minutes a day. And I was the older sister. So I kind of sniffed at her and said, five minutes. Right. And she said, I find if I do it for five minutes, I do it. Uh, Which is exactly what you were just saying. And I'm going to go tell her again, how much I appreciate her wisdom, even though she is five years younger. And, um, You've probably been read, you've probably read Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. And I've I have I was I got that from another sister in 1972, and I've carried it to different countries and I had it on my phone mm. when I travel. But uh the last I'd say 10 years, I would just pick it up randomly. So uh two years ago, I think the first year of the of the virus I decided just to do Oswald. Uh, mm-hmm. even though it's not a Bible study. And I started on, and I got a new notebook. I love new notebooks. And I just called it my year with Oswald. And so I did it every day and took little notes on it. I started, I think, halfway through January. So I had to catch up. But, <laughs> um, and I was, took that book with me when we went on a cruise because I thought I have it on my phone. I have the notebook and I don't know what I'll do with those notes, but I just felt I always look forward to my quiet time because I love Oswald. Mm. And I've read his biography twice, so I kind of know where he's coming from a little bit. And um, it was just a sweet thing. So when you say your second point, do something you enjoy. Mm-hmm. You if you don't like chambers, don't do chambers. You know, do something right. at least to get the habit started. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I was curious. I loved all the stories. I know we're going on too long here, but you have a great book here. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the personal stories of the people. I'm not sure how you um, figured out which stories to use. My question, just as a fellow writer, is were you collecting uh, stories of faith for a while? And then you go, oh, I can use this story here. Or were you on a mission to say this story will work for these chapters of Deuteronomy or John? Um, just how did you pick them? Mm-hmm. I was not collecting stories of faith. Um, initially, the first story is the story of Mark Lawrence. And so that was the first story that I had. And as I was actually conceiving of the book, I was talking to some friends about it. And they live in South Carolina, where he is an Anglican bishop. And they said, oh, gosh, you know, you're talking about practicing your way into faith. This, you know, I shared that Pascal quote with them. They said, you've just got to hear the story of our bishop. Mm. And his it, that's essentially his story from college is that he had this sort of 
moment, come to Jesus moment. And he said, well, I don't know that you're real God, but I'm going to start acting as if you are. Mm. And then just, I mean, moment after moment after moment, you know, kind of line, line up. And it's really an incredible story. So I started with that one. And then I realized like, this could be really powerful. I think, I think stories are super powerful because they are so illustrative, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so then I started to intentionally look for stories, you know, and some of those people I know, um, some of those people, sometimes I would just reach out to people in ministry and would say, do you, do you know of people who might have an interesting short story to share? Um, like, for example, Premi is one of those. So I have a friend who's a pastor in Southern California, and um, I was talking to his wife and she was like, oh, you know, there we have a perfect person in our church. Um, and it was Premi who, who shared her story with me. So some of the people I don't know, but I sort of found them through other people. And then how they ended up in the book, like that was totally a God thing um, Mm -hmm. because I had the stories and then I just looked at the themes of the book and just this, the book was already written. And then I just figured out where to slot them in. And I hadn't, I had exactly what I needed and they were related to the material in really interesting ways. So that was a God thing. And they, there's such a variety. I mean, this should get Mm -hmm. people people to buy the book today just because of the variety People remember stories more than they remember facts. And Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is every person who came to faith that you shared came in a different way. But the theme theme that uh, the common thread from all those stories was the theme to me of invitation. Someone Mm. challenged you, would you uh, read the Bible for 10 minutes a day for um, six months? I think is what your friend uh, challenged you to do. Uh, Another person was invited to a summer um, camp or another person was handed a Bible with fear and trembling. I've done that. I've handed Bibles with fear and trembling. (laughs) You might want to check this out. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think that maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just prejudiced towards what I speak on, but invitation, we need to be living a life of invitation, but sometimes we actually use words and, uh, and it might be, would you like to come to church? I remember uh, just this last Mm -hmm. Easter, um, uh, last Easter, our pastor was saying, make sure you invite your neighbors to church. And I'd already invited my neighbors for brunch, uh, but I hadn't invited them to church because I knew what they would say. But what, I just felt like, you know, this guy is a recent widower. He's in his 80s. And this is maybe God speaking to me. So I texted him the night before and I said, hey, I can't believe I didn't include you on our invitation to church as well as brunch. We go at nine. Uh, if you'd like to come, you can come with us or meet us there. We go to Grace Church downtown, or I'll see you at noon with fruit because he was bringing fruit. And he wrote right back, I'll see you at noon. You know, okay. and, <laughs> I thought, okay, yep. Lord, I give the invitation. We, I think we get hung Absolutely. up. We get hung up, Jen, at least I do, um, or have been in the past of the Great Commission and God's, you know, we want to listen to people's last words and Jesus' last words were, you better go and yeah. make disciples into all the world starting with Jerusalem, which to me is the neighborhood. Our Jerusalem mm. is our neighborhood. And it's much harder for us sometimes to go across the street and talk to uh, a stranger who should be a friend than it mm-hmm. is to go to uh, Mozambique or someplace and pass out tracks because it's odd and it's weird, even in our own culture, to talk about Jesus, whereas they don't mind you talking about it. If you go to Spain, even to visit friends, they don't mind it because it's part of their culture, even though it may be mm-hmm. one that they don't know Jesus personally. And so I would say that the invitation in each of your stories, coming back to your book, 
is so evident. It just jumped out at me. And I thought, hey, we need to just be saying, hey, would you like to come? And they can always say no. Like my friend That's right. John. Like my friend John. That's right. You know. So um, you know, our pad, my podcast is about well, I wanted to ask you what which was your favorite story? Because I had a couple of favorite ones. Oh goodness. That's a tricky one. I really did like premies. I mean, I know I just mentioned premies. I I I mean I loved all of them, but I think her story of that. I mean, you, and you even mentioned these people in Northern California, your neighbors, like, why do they need Jesus? And Premi's story was very much like that. Like she was very successful. She, um, you know, became a doctor. Like she, she did all of the right things. And then all of a sudden her life wasn't working out for her. Um, She wasn't able to get pregnant and fill that five bedroom house, you know, that they had, that they had bought. And then she was able to get pregnant and then it wasn't fulfilling in the way that she expected. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought that that was such a beautiful story. And she, she was all along very involved, or I would say kind of here and there involved in, in church communities. And it was neat to see how other people were playing a role in her life too, constantly, mm-hmm. like you were saying, to invite her to consider, um, you know, would Jesus be enough? I think is actually how her pastor put it to her when they were over for dinner. She had hosted her pastor and his wife for dinner. You know, would Jesus mm-hmm. be enough if you never have that baby? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, I don't even know what she, I remember her telling me, like, I don't even, I didn't even know what that question meant. Like, how could Jesus be enough? Like right. Jesus is not even here. Yeah, He's right, right. invisible. Like mm-hmm. I need it. I need a house. I need a baby. I need a good job, you know, all these kinds of things. And, and then to sort of come to that moment eventually through a process again, it, I also like the stories, I guess I'm, I, I, maybe I gravitate toward that one too, because there's just not this one moment, you know, there are, there are a series of moments Mm -hmm. where it's a process over a period of time. And I think, again, that's encouraging for people because sometimes people stand on the outside of faith and think I got to have a light bulb moment, you know, and that doesn't happen for everybody. It doesn't. And we prayed for my brother for, I don't know, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And my mother cried many tears and, um, and I love, I love the story of Darius. I don't know how to say his last oh, name. Oh, Darius Rackus. Yeah. Yeah. He's a where, he, where he says, God picked me up and took me from uh, being an opponent to put me on his side. I mean, yeah. the whole idea that of a being grace, you know, coming back yeah. to that, that this is not mm-hmm. something we work up. Faith is a gift. I don't understand why some have it in spades. My yeah. best friend here, when I told my best friend here what I'd struggled with in college, she goes, oh, I've never doubted. But she wasn't putting me down, but it yeah. just opened my eyes that not everybody goes through that. For me, there were reasons. Right. And I think it's helped me in my testifying of who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you, is this a book for skeptics? But I think we answered that already. I think it's a book yeah. for just about anyone. Uh, what do you consider your legacy? You know, I think... <laughs> such a good question. And you gave it to me in advance. So I should have a better answer, but (laughs) you know, I was like, I was struggling with it because I'm like, is it generic enough to say like, I want to be faithful to Jesus? You know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, my life has had a lot of different sort of chapters. And so, I mean, right now I'm in the writing chapter, but I'm moving into the caring for my mom chapter, you know, and I've cared for my children. I've had that chapter and um, supporting my husband and a variety of different chapters. All, of, But the theme in all of them is just 
an obedient responsiveness to the voice of Jesus. You know, I think if somebody were to stand up at my funeral, I'd like that to hear them say, you know, this was a person who lived a life where she was listening to Jesus and she was just following him. And sometimes that took her into some crazy places. And sometimes maybe she got some crazy presumptive ideas. I don't know. But at the end of the day, like she had a fruitful life, you know, because I think about John 15, mm-hmm. that if we abide in Christ, our lives will bear fruit. And so that connection to Jesus and people saying, no, she was connected to Jesus. And then she bore the fruit of his love in her life. I can think of uh, someone who just is listening today would think, well, I don't know the voice of Jesus. How does Mm. she know? How does she know when she's following Jesus? What has been a challenge or an obstacle for you following Jesus? I think that's been, I think that has probably been a huge challenge is to sometimes wonder, like, is that the voice of Jesus or is that my own voice, you know, kind of convincing me or telling me to do something. And I think the last season that we've lived in as we, we moved to Cincinnati and I mentioned that, um, which was a very disruptive move for our family because we left a home that we'd been building in Toronto for 11 years and really hadn't intended to leave. Um, but the voice of Jesus, like the, the, I, just over a period of time, um, speaking through scripture, I would say specifically, I don't generally, I'm often hearing the voice of God just through scripture, you know, and, and it happened to be just a series of Proverbs, you know, do not despise your mother when she is old, you know, (laughs) gladden the, you know, the hearts of your parents by obeying them and honoring them. And just all these various Proverbs through the wisdom literature and just knowing like that was God's voice, you know, God tells us to honor our parents. And so that's the, that's the next season, you know, to listen to that voice and to obey. I'm curious if you had to talk your husband into hearing the same voice. No, not, no. Thank, I mean, there have been other seasons. There have been other seasons for sure. Where I'm like, don't you hear the voice of God? God? And he's like, no, he's like, no, that, no, I don't hear that voice as clearly. But this was one where we heard the voice of God together. And Mm. that was just also such a gift. It is a gift. I remember Mm -hmm. early, early on in our marriage, because I married late, of course, I knew everything when I got married until, <laughs> until I got married. And then I, one time my husband, who's very quiet and very smart, said, are you trying to be my Holy Spirit? That's, and I said, yeah. I, it started me. I thought, well, I guess I, I guess I am. And I'm doing I such a good job of it. But obviously <laughs> not. So that's been an unlearning for 34 years. Um, yeah. The last question, how does your life or legacy embody God's welcome? And I don't mean just hospitality. I mean, his invitation to know him. I really believe that God, you know, is, gives us the ability to see people um, as he sees them. And, you know, I think welcome is really a part of that. You know, people want to be welcomed as they are. Hmm. Welcome is only welcome when you welcome people as they are, not as they should be. Um, and I think there's also this idea too that, you know, welcome sees beauty in people. I, I think about a book actually I just recently read by Andy Crouch, um, The Life We're All Looking For. And he was talking about going through the airport and just looking at people and in his mind, repeating image bearer, image bearer, image bearer, you know, and I would like to 
I don't know that this is true of me today, but I think it's the kind of person I want to be becoming is that when people are with me, they feel welcomed in the sense that they are received as they are, Mm. Um, where they like they're, I see them with the dignity of as an image bearer, you know, they bear the image of God. Mm. And um, I think there's not enough of that in the world. I think we often receive people as we want them to be, or we Mm. will, you know, we say, well, I will receive you as soon as you get to, as I want you to be. Mm. And so that could be a whole marriage therapy thing right there. That it sure could, couldn't it? Because <laughs> we marry we marry someone and then we want them to, you know, keep acting the way they did when they were courting us, or to <laughs> measure up to what our dad was, or something like that. And it can really get you into trouble. I love what you say about that because I feel that people will not share their vulnerabilities of their deep, deep need for God, even though they don't even know what that is. They don't mm. even know that that's what's calling them inside unless we welcome them as they are. They will yeah. not spill over their deepest need if we have, if, if they feel from us judgment to begin with. Yeah. And, and that's how Jesus was so engaging to the woman at the well. I mean, he said it to yeah. a woman and, and a Samaritan. And uh, if we can be more like that, Jen, that's, Really, that's evangelism to me, mm-hmm. and and uh, displaying God's welcome heart. Uh, I think it looks different on other people, on the way we do it, but the attitude mm. of welcome and allowing them to be vulnerable. I have what I call wine nights, where um, girlfriends come over, and some I don't know. Like I meet them at the gym, and I'll just say, "Would you like to come over?" It's just a bunch of women, and we I have a glass of wine, and then I always do conversation starters, but I don't do faith based ones. Mm. I just do ones that will draw them into deeper. And one time this woman came up to me afterwards and she goes, I don't believe the same way you do do, uh, politically, but can we still be friends? And then Mm. this was afterwards and we hadn't talked politics. And then I, and I said, and she goes, this was so great. And I said, well, I find that women are lonely. Mm. And she goes, I'm lonely. That's what she said to me. And we just walked yesterday. Now we're dear friends. That's amazing. All because of an atmosphere given by God of welcome, because that's how he has welcomed us. And I want to close with uh, Mm -hmm. a great quote um, from your book, which is this book has been an invitation to abide. You're talking about John 15 Mm. uh, to lay it, to lay aside some of our daily franticness. Don't we always have those? And I have 50 people coming over Saturday. So yes, there's some (laughs) franticness involved in my week. And let the words of Jesus abide in us. I mean, to let means Mm. to embrace, to really to rest, not to run out. We do pursue God, yes. But to be able to pursue in a matter of rest, maybe you could write that next book because that's um, (laughs) a good idea. That actually might be the next book. Well, the In Good Time book. Yeah, (laughs) Jen, Jen, you have been fantastic. And what a blessing. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.